there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Special edition of Advanced Medicine here begins with Dr. Rashid Batar. We play the game every once in a while with him. Where's Waldo or where's Dr. Batar? And he is far afield from where normally he is, but he is a traveler. And uh, this time you have landed where? Well, at this very moment, I'm in Bethlehem. And it's interesting that it's around Easter, Mm -hmm. uh, the day after Easter now. And we were uh, fortunate enough to spend some time in in uh, Bethlehem and went to visit where Jesus was born and some very interesting things. And it's, I've actually been here before, but I had the opportunity to bring my son with me on this trip. And uh, so he's getting to do some things and seeing some things that most people never will have an opportunity to see in their lives. Oh, that is so awesome. I, I got to travel all over the world when I was uh, younger. In fact, I've been to Israel a few times. I, I, again, I don't have much memory of Bethlehem when I think I was much younger at that point. Uh, but been around there. But yeah, what a, what a time, Easter weekend uh, to be there. And you see, you know, up front, uh, the, you know, the interaction uh, that the news media never, never covers. But, uh, uh, wh- you know, what brings you there? Obviously, advanced medicine on our minds here all the time. Uh, have they been open to that where you are in Bethlehem or surrounding areas? What's going on? Uh, well, I've got a, me- a meeting with the uh, Ministry of Health in Jordan. And I gave a lecture here about three years ago, almost three years ago, and um, it was a cancer conference, but uh, during that trip, I met with the Deputy Minister of Health and actually had dinner with him and his wife at their house. They invited me to the house after the conference, and so we'd been talking, the the conference was on cancer, we ended up talking about autism, they were talking about the epidemic of autism, and how prevalent it was in some of the Middle Eastern countries, especially among the uh, refugee population, the Palestinian, the Syrian um, refugee population. And so there's some things that are going on here, and uh, they wanted to have a meeting, and there may be a possibility of doing something here in Jordan, which may become the, um, God willing, if it's meant to be, maybe a central hub for the Middle East and Europe for wow. um, our protocol for autism. Yeah. Well, Dr. Bittar, is if you say among the refugee population, is do you think at least part that they were hammered with vaccines more than other uh, parts of the population? Yeah, without a doubt, Robert. It seems like though any impoverished area of the world or any area of the world where there's been mass destruction secondary to um, human factors, not uh, natural disasters, um, all the bodies like the Red Cross and all the different um, Salvation Army, whoever the different bodies are that want to help mitigate some of the issues that have resulted as a result of of the conflict, the war, um, they come in and they try to take care of the local population. And of course, there's some things that they're doing with nutrition, you know, making sure there's enough food, water, etc. But then they also do this um, movement towards making sure that all the kids are protected and so they over-vaccinate. And it's never it's never one of those types of scenarios where they're following any type of um, 
um, the norm of that country prior to whatever the conflict is, it's almost like a zealous over-vaccination schedule in order to, in their world, compensate any other, they want to just make sure they protect everybody. But what they're doing is actually they're increasing the damage, the toxicity, the the negative untoward effects that we don't want, mm-hmm. as we know from all the formaldehyde and the mercury and the all the uh, DNA addicts and all the other components that are within the vaccines. And so these kids end up getting bombarded. And there's an increased incidence of autism within that population, as we would expect. Are, are so, you, Dr. Batar, are you able to speak? I, we, all, we always say about the religiosity associated with modern medicine, allopathic medicine is a church in its own right. And we, even though they don't say it that way, but we can acknowledge the way it's treated to go in like here you are in the birthplace of Judaism, Christianity, Islam, all of that to go in and say, my gosh, these allopaths, they're of all religious practices, but they come in and they dominate, as you said, local customs to think, wow, if we get that needle injected, somehow they they begin to worship uh, an allopathic viewpoint of the world because the technology is like almost awe inspiring to them. You know what I'm saying? And we talk about it that way here in the States. Yeah, I think that um, that's true. We end up, we do end up um, talking about it. Uh, we end up seeing the results of this religiosity. Obviously, I'm, I'm seeing it here, but it's not just limited hit here. It, we see it everywhere. Yeah. Um, I think this religiosity aspect, when you coined that term, when I first heard it probably almost a decade ago, I think you did coin it, right? Religiosity? Because I've been using it quite frequently. But Well, you know, our interaction has been our journey together. Is cr- I, I sometimes don't remember where these words come from. Sometimes they do just come from inspiration. Other times uh, folks are using it in smaller circles. But whether I make the claim to it or not, the fact of the matter is we need more people talking about it in these terms, especially as, you you know, you have influence. Like if you go to Jordan, obviously it's a, a Muslim primary country to be able to speak in in their language to help them to understand that allopathic medicine has become a church as well and that it isn't just rooted in science right like science would supersede our religious beliefs necessarily but it isn't in a validated way you know what i'm saying no i I absolutely do uh in fact it was interesting that when i gave my lecture here three years ago i made some comments that were i think we could conservatively say were offensive to the allopathic medical community that's local to jordan i mean you know it's their their own medical hierarchy here. Mm-hmm. And um, there was the, the Minister of Education for Saudi Arabia, who has been a patient of mine, had flown in, had actually left a meeting with the Prime Minister of France uh, to come in as just a sign of respect to come in to attend my lecture, and then flew back the next day to continue his meetings with the Minister of France. But when he came in, um, he was in the audience, and of course the, minister of, uh, the Deputy Minister of uh, Health for Jordan was there too. They both know each other. Well, about half the audience, or maybe maybe about a third of the audience, during my lecture, at a certain point when I talked about how um, chemotherapy and radiation has been proven in multiple studies to have no uh, significant statistical significance as far as increasing um, lifespan in patients that have cancer, and that there's 300 and some different articles. In fact, Ty put that thing together, 311, I think it is, uh-huh. uh, References that show that there's a zero percent increase in uh, lifespan in two years, and I think there's only like two percent reduction in tumor size. Which tumor size has nothing to do with increase or decrease in tumor size has nothing to do with survivability anyway. And um, anyway, they they got very offended by that statement and probably some other things that I said, and um, they basically got up to leave. And the minister of the the deputy minister and Dr. Walid. 
uh, who's the minister of, or used to be the minister of education for Saudi Arabia, they both stood up and started clapping. And it was very interesting because the people that had invited me here told me, they said, did you notice what happened? There was confusion in the audience because this was the medical hierarchy that was got up to leave. But both these people are highly, highly respected and have very significant influence in the medical community in the Middle East. And when they stood up and started clapping, the other ones, if they had walked out, yes. that third of the group audience, if they had walked out, would have been disrespecting them. And they immediately sat back down. Wow. Yeah, and I so remember. That's powerful. My after my life, yeah, I actually went and um, talked to the deputy minister for health for Jordan, who's, who's uh, the person I'm supposed to be meeting with during this trip. And I thanked him, and he just, like, blew it off, and he said, no, he has nothing to thank me for. He goes, they need to be, I think his term was something about, they need to be spanked every now and then so that they understand to open their minds and to see a different perspective. But, you know, it just brings me back to the point about the religiosity aspect. That picture that I sent you mm-hmm. right before we went on air, it shows, you know, we can't even really, really use the word religiosity anymore because the religiosity aspect of it, when you're here in the place of, you know, Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. Everybody, all Christians all over the world know that. And, and I told you the story about the second Khalifa, when, when they conquered Jerusalem. Uh, that was when the, the Muslims conquered Jerusalem and took over, I guess, um, about 1,200 years ago, whenever it was, I can't remember, uh, King George the Fourth and Salahuddin, I believe it was, that, it was that conflict when the Muslims took over. So they came to the church where Jesus was born, and the Christians invited um, the second Khalifa to come in to pray in the church. Um, but he, being Muslim, refused to pray in the church. But, and the reason was, he said, because if I pray in this church, they will convert it. My followers, as, as we come, come through, my followers will um, create a mosque here. And I don't want to uh, have the church ruined. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, I will go 200 yards away, and he prayed across the street, or and there was no street there, yeah. he prayed across the field, and that's where they created the mosque. And the picture that I sent you with my son, which I'll be posting to Instagram, yes. actually shows the church and the mosque, and, you know, they're literally a rock, you can throw a rock. Yeah, very close to together. And, well, this is like yeah, the, fact, the lost history, though, as we talk about contemporary news organizations fomenting hatred among religions and religious people all over the world. Uh, as I've said so many times on this program, if people are left alone that live in proximity to one another, they'll end up finding a way to work and, and live amongst each other because it's all in everybody's best interest. You know, the destruction of, of generations through war, it's only benefiting the international bankers ultimately. You're absolutely right. And what's interesting is it's not, this isn't something recent. This is how it's always been here and how people interact. My guide, the first time I came here in the church, um, uh, in the church of Nat- Nativity, I think is what the, how they refer to it, which yes. is where Jesus was born, was actually a Muslim, uh, and he was, he was our guide. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because when we use the word religiosity, we have a negative connotation with the word religiosity to say how people become impassioned and follow science like as if follow the mainstream hierarchy or medicine, medical uh, message from the hierarchy as if it's a religion. And yet here you see the pure sense of religion, which is actually spirituality, the basis of religion is the spiritual aspect, but we bring in the man factor, the human factor, and then that, of course, ruins everything. But here, if you start looking at religiosity and you see how these religions are right across the street from each other, from where it all started, throughout 
the history of time. They found a have, way it's to always get along. Been like yeah. That. yeah. Well, listen, we got to take a break here. The world. Hold, hold on, hold yeah. that thought. We're taking a break. It's a, it's a fascinating international discussion here with Dr. Bittar in the Middle East. While we're here on the Robert Scott Bell Show, and you will check it out. All the links are up, including photographs at robertscottbell.com. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, back at it with Dr. Bittar. He is in Bethlehem and Easter weekend, uh, obviously day after, but uh, advanced medicine all over the world. And, you know, we talk about uh, everybody's got their own religious views and beliefs. In fact, I've said this, you can go into a church, a synagogue, a mosque, and if you drill down enough on each individual member in any of those uh, places, you're going to find differences of belief even within those religions. That's just the nature of individuality, ultimately, that everybody's a divine, unique spark of God. Now, uh, if we talk about religiosity as has been the, the term of the day here, uh, the idea that uh, there have been wars that have resulted in death and mayhem and killing, well, it's true throughout the history of, of planet Earth. There's been that. But in a modern context, no religion's coming close to the deaths induced by modern medicine. In the United States, it's the third leading cause of death. I've argued it's second and or first because it causes the number two and number one as well. So you're bringing, I believe, much-needed perspective into areas where, the, unfortunately, they've, they've begun to worship the doctors, like we've talked about in, in these uh, religious institutions or uh, at government levels. And yet there's evidence that you have there that they say, you know what, we need to humble those people a little bit and recognize there's more to medicine than just modern. I totally agree with you, Robert. Um, and that's exactly the, the, the point. I, I think that we have a lot to learn by studying history. And there's an old saying that those that don't spend the time necessary to study history are destined to repeat it. And so when we start looking at history and we start seeing the peace between um, these people of different faiths from the get-go, from the original aspect, of course there were other, there were, I'm sure there were conflicts and you know, we know many of the conflicts and it's interesting how um, the conflict is what we always hear about. We don't hear about the, the peaceful interactions and the community and, and the camaraderie within the religions. For example, um, before Salahuddin took over Jerusalem, um, Salahuddin was apparently um, camped around Jerusalem for an extended period of time, maybe, maybe a few years if I, if I remember history correctly, um, and there was no conflict. There was no, in fact, the uh, movie Kingdom of Heaven, um, it's probably a dramatization of the story, but they actually t- talk about that, and there was a faction within the uh, within Jerusalem under King George IV um, that was very eccentric and uh, believed in that, you know, the infidels had to be, whatever they defined as infidels, because, of course, the Muslims defined the infidels as the Christians, and Christians were defined as the Muslims, and so everybody defined each other as an infidel, right? But there was peace in Jerusalem, and, and King George allowed all people within Jerusalem to pray in whatever the way they wanted to. And then, of course, this um, eccentric fraction goes out and attacks a caravan into Saladin's camp, and then that's, of course, what issued the what, what created the war that then Saladin came and took over Jerusalem. But it's interesting that it's always a small group that causes conflict because that's that conflict that um, they feed on. Well, and, and then, and then they, they end they up ruin the peace. 
Right, under a Hegelian dialectic scheme, even prior to Hegel talking about that, they will utilize the conflict to profit from both sides of the war. Again, now we go to international exactly. banksters. And even Jesus said to kick out the money changers, right, from the temple. Yeah, yeah uh, so exactly. exactly. It, this, is, this goes way back, thousands of years of history. And I, I love talking history, too, because I, a lot of this we might learn a little bit of, but to how does it apply in a modern context? You're now in the Middle East, but in a modern context, bringing, hey, you know what? I'm trying to help people to heal, to get well. And yes, we sometimes use advancements in technology uh, to help, but it's in response to the advancements in technology that have been detrimental, like vaccination in the modern way that they apply it. Uh, there's an article here about Canada. Now they acknowledge one in 66 children in Canada are, are suffering with autism. And of course, they're big on vaccines. Their allopathic medicine dominates Western, the Western world up, up through uh, Canada as well. So we're seeing this everywhere and Middle East not excluded there. Yeah, exactly. I think that um, many of these countries, they're fast approaching the incidence of autism as the United States. And I think we're like something in 1 in 32, 1 in 34, some, some number like that as of 2017, uh, 2016. I'm not sure exactly um, what those numbers are. I know in some states, it's as um, the incidence is as high as 1 out of uh, 18, I think it is in Mississippi or Alabama. So it's continuously increasing in the United States. But you see some of these other countries. And of course, Canada isn't a third world country. Canada is, you know, one of the, the G8 or G10, whatever they call it. Um, and you're seeing these other countries fast approaching the same numbers as the United States because they're following the United States. They're following the footsteps of the United States um, vaccine indoctrination program. And that's one reason they're starting to see the same incidence of autism. Yeah, and again, I, I like to be a world leader, but I think about leading people to health and healing, not more disease. We're going to take a break. Dr. Batar is back with us doing advanced medicine after this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Dr. Batar, in your book, it's called what? The nine steps to keep the doctor away. International bestseller, especially for the new people that don't know about it. Uh, linked up in the show notes. You guys check it out. Also, if you ever miss one of these episodes, advancedmedicine.com and medicalrewind.com. Plenty of, in fact, hundreds and hundreds of hours of archives available to you from around the world now, which is awesome. Very empowering information. Uh, if, if we look at... Uh, how we say the advancements in medicine. One of the things is your understanding you've written about, we talk about it, of opportunistics. Opportunistics. What are opportunistics? Well, they take advantage of, a, of an altered terrain. In a healthy terrain, we talk about a microbiome. Everything's living in harmony. Interesting. Isn't that like you're in Jerusalem, in, in Bethlehem? How is it that people can live in peace and harmony when they're left alone from outside influences like I would say the banksters are like antibiotics because they go in and destroy a region, foment hatred, and then step out, watch what happens, and they profit from it. Now, who's profiting from the destruction of the microbiome? Well, big pharma and those who are behind the scenes of big pharma as disease is fomented, or in this story, Clostridium difficile, C. diff, something I'd never heard of back in the 90s when I was immersed in homeopathics as well for the first time and learning holistic things. And suddenly, you know, in the dawn of antibiotics uh, abuse and beyond, the um, uh, 
proton pump inhibiting drugs made it even worse, altering the terrain opportunistics take advantage. Big surprise. Yeah, actually, um, I'm, I'm not even sure I understand this, uh, this article. It was done at North Carolina State University as far as the research, but uh, Clostridium difficile has always been an, uh, an infection that's associated with chronic antibiotic usage. Mm-hmm. And so it's something that we see with people with um, recurrent diverticulitis or they have uh, inflammatory bowel disease and there's been a long-standing um, continuous use of antibiotic therapy, which then causes a essentially a sterilization of the gastrointestinal system, which then allows for the opportunistics. It's, di- it's, it's a dysbiotic uh, terrain at that point. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you end up having uh, systemic candidiasis with multiple strains of candida, and then, of course, you have the C. difficile, and you have other types of um, opportunities for you know, parasites and such to, to set up house. But Clostridium difficile has always been associated with chronic antibiotic usage. And so I'm not really sure what the point of this story was because this isn't something new. Um, so I, what, what, are well, the, what it, was the point of this thing? It, well, it, it, for me to bring it up now, obviously, it, it is a recent study. So it's, it's new in terms of the publication. But in terms of our discussion here, I think it's illustrative or, you know, and obviously everything we do is try to be a teachable moment, right? It's to remind mm-hmm. folks about the danger of allopathic medicine. Yes, it can save your life in a pinch, an antibiotic. We acknowledge that. However, they discard or, dis, you know, disavow knowledge like I will dig into and you will too, other peer-reviewed literature that shows that even at 2,000 times the reference dose, we can use an active form of silver, drive it into the gut, and you will not result in a similar dysbiotic uh, terrain. In other words, it has a uniformity about it so that your terrain is actually strengthened in terms of the healthy state so that that balanced microbiome is left intact or, in fact, created from a dysbiotic situation. So the idea here is not to chemo bomb carpet bomb with chemo which is an antibiotic because the dysbiosis that results they already know that and more and more studies now coming out to validate what you've seen in practice as well yeah actually uh, while you were talking robert i just uh, scanned this article and i think what the point here was it wasn't so much to show that antibiotics um cause c difficile which they already knew it was basically looking at the mechanism of how antibiotics cause c difficile mm. uh, to become prevalent and it's uh, apparently related to the amount of proline in the gut um which decreases as the population population of the clostridium increases and so there's a byproduct of uh, protein uh, protein metabolism called a five aminovalerate and that's also increased, so indicating the C. difficile is metabolizing the proline. So mm-hmm. it's actually, I think, demonstrating the mechanism of action. So that makes sense because this association between C. difficile and uh, chronic antibiotic usage has been it's uh, known. present for many years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, so it, talk it, about more the mechanism. If they learn the mechanism, it's like cool. That's the egghead side of the, the science nerd side. We get into that too. But at the same time, we can step back from it, and we don't have to understand the mechanism to know that's the result. I guess. The question next becomes, will they develop an antibiotic that doesn't reduce the proline levels, for instance? I mean, that's their right, thought form, right? Right, <laughs> right exactly. As opposed to just, hey, improve gut flora and mm-hmm. reduce the antibiotic usage and come up with other things that can um, help uh, alleviate the issues without um, sterilizing the entire gut. I mean, this is like sending a napalm, you know, to kill a... To, to kill an infestation of uh, bees or something. Right. You know, you don't want to kill the whole jungle just because you've got some 
some mosquito population issue or something like that. Um, but this is exactly how we end up in modern medicine dealing with these infections. And we just go in there. We don't have any appreciation for uh, the balance. And, of course, you know, how could we really have an appreciation for gut balance when look at how we treat the environment, our, our world. Mm. You know, we go in there, we want wood, we take that on for us. We don't have any uh, comprehension of what we're doing to that right. diverse um, cycle of life. You know, we, so we end up having overpopulation you know, once and then it's, it's, it's just chaotic. So whenever man comes into the picture, by inherently man just screws up the balance. And that's what we've done to our exterior environment. That's what we're doing to our internal environment. And that's what causes these types of things like the clostridium to um, run rampant, uh, among other things like the systemic endosis and various types of parasites, etc. Yeah, it's a combination of ignorance and arrogance. Within the medical field, we have to say arrogance because they should know better, or in the case of antibiotic use, they already do know better. And so to reveal a mechanism as to why C. diff uh, is proliferating in those uh, uh, terrains, okay, kind of cool, no problem, but the reality is, are they really looking to alter the microbiome for the better by reducing truly, I know they say it, reducing antibiotic use and looking for alternatives like we've talked about, silver, homeopathy, uh, herbs that can address the immune system, immune response, or have some direct impact in terms of tamping down an aberrant microorganism that has overstayed its balanced welcome, for instance. So, uh, you know, these are the questions we always ask and we always look to apply. And that's what part of what advanced medicine is. That's exactly right, Robert. And um, I'm um, honored that you know we were able to bring this message of balance and, and reestablishing the balance every week and have been doing it now for almost, I guess, almost a decade. We're, what, nine years into this now? Yeah, no, it's, it's, we have been rocking the health world together for a long time, and I'm just grateful as can be. Uh, you know, it makes me happy. My heart is happy, much less my microbiome, <laughs> you know, and, and if we talk yeah. about the, the, the allopathic overwhelming, it's not just the, the antibiotics, the vaccines have shown to have a very bad impact on microbiome. I mean, that's kind of what uh, Andrew Wakefield discovered with his, you know, initial discussion of the measles, the, not, the, the measles strain, so, so, to, so to speak, from the vaccine itself in these kids with a novel new form of, 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 of colitis or enterocolitis. So it's not just antibiotics. Yeah, it's anything that's going to mess up the, the balance of the body. So it can be a demineralization aspect or um, sometimes, you know, these toxic substances that we take into our body, some of these toxic heavy metals uh, are actually displacing the essential minerals. Uh, so we, we've got that type of a balance issue. You've got the B vitamins not having, having a nutrient-deficient diet, you know, that's going to throw off the, or contribute to the balance being thrown off, which will then allow for the environment to be off-balance. You've got so many, you know, the, the chronic stress that leads to uh, overexpression of certain types of stress hormones and burning through the minerals and the B vitamins and then mm-hmm. not allowing the body to be able to compensate. And so there's so many different uh, aspects of this. You've got then all, all the stuff that we ingest for nutrients, but that's been irradiated or genetically modified or homogenized or pasteurized. And so it's morphed and um, is virtually not like even food anymore and then causes delayed IgG-mediated food allergies and syndrome X and all this other type of stuff. Right. So these are all different aspects of what we do to throw off the balance in the body. And how, how many drugs or drug categories uh, disrupt the microbiome or have other unintended consequences? Here's another category of drugs they just studied and released info on. Uh, anti-epileptic drugs. Children exposed to drugs for epilepsy 
uh, and bipolar disorder have lower academic scores. And, and it's like, if that were the worst thing, I mean, that's the, you don't want children not to be as smart as they should be. But my gosh, you know, how many times do we see or hear now from children, whether they've been diagnosed in the autism spectrum, but the epilepsy issue that these drugs are very toxic, they're not working, and they'll switch over to something that's been studied extensively in Jerusalem, for instance, cannabidiol from hemp. You know, another a naturally occurring God-created plant and substances from it that can do things these drugs cannot, and there are no unintended consequences, but maybe unintended benefits. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, this is what's interesting is that they're talking about children exposed to drugs for epilepsy. Now, you talk about children exposed to any drug for any type of brain disorder. It doesn't matter whether it's epilepsy, uh, whether it's, um, you know, attention deficit, whether whatever type of, you know, sleep disorders or whatever it is. It doesn't matter because any drug that's being prescribed to alter the neurochemistry, by definition, will create a decrease in academic scores or decrease in uh, cognitive function or decrease in um, intelligence factor because it's altering the chemistry that's necessary. In other words... What I'm trying to say is, and I'm not doing it very well, what I'm trying to say is that if you've got pharmaceutical intervention, you're altering the brain chemistry. And if you want the individual's brain to function at its highest level, you must reestablish the balance of the neurochemistry as God designed it. Yes. And when, as soon as you start throwing in a drug into the brain, you are going to, by definition, alter that balance. And humans are incapable, as far as I'm concerned, of creating balance. We also recognize that in addition to the antimicrobial drugs resulting in C. diff manifestation, these epilepsy scenarios outside of head injury. Now, most of the science is pointing back to the microbiome, the gut is, itself, as the second brain, the gut-brain connection, is creating the electrical imbalances in the brain that they then diagnose as a brain disorder, as epilepsy, that may, in the majority of cases, be rooted in the gut. Yeah, so the, the mesenteric plexus is considered to be the second brain anyway. Um, there's um, a lot of the neurotransmitters are found within the gut. All right, Dr. Bittar, hold on. We're going to uh, get back. We're going to wrap it up. We'll talk a little bit more about the gut microbiome, the impact on the you know different categories of drugs there, whether it be epilepsy or otherwise. Advanced medicine continues after this. Live around the world, the Robert Scott Robert Bell Show. Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott, the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. A special edition of the Robert Scott Bell Show, Advanced Medicine with Dr. Rasha Bittar, all the way from the Middle East. Dr. Bittar, man, it is so cool that we can connect all over planet Earth to reestablish the healthy terrain everywhere we go. That's what the goal is, Robert, and uh, I'm, I think we're doing a reasonable job with that, aren't we? Absolutely. Now, we were talking about different allopathic drug categories causing a disruption in, in balance, right? Unintended consequences mm-hmm. as they may be, uh, whether it be C. diff manifestation. We were talking about epileptic drugs, and you were, you know, I think hitting uh, going into what you have done in your clinic in terms of helping these kids, even with epilepsy. Yeah, so we, you know, we have had a lot of children with seizure disorder that have come in um, with associated with their autism, but probably... 20%, one out of five children that we treat have had a history of uh, seizure disorder at some point 
um, many of them actually still having active seizure disorders. Uh, one of the interesting things I know that anti-seizure drugs, their side effects of anti-seizure drugs seizure. So I'm not sure how we know what have been caused by medication that have been put on or from you know the original, whatever the offending imbalance was, which oftentimes is an isolated thing, secondary to a fever or, or whatever the case may be. But the point is that the neurochemistry of the brain must be reestablished because if you're not willing to and capable of reestablishing the original balance, you will never end up having the ability of the brain to work at a time. Right. So academic scores, cognitive you know, scores, but, but, all that stuff. But how did, how did you do that, Dr. Batar, in terms of the gut? Because you understood the gut-brain connection a lot, longer before than a lot of doctors have. Actually, Robert, there have been a lot of doctors uh, way before you and I were even born that talked about the importance of gut balance and gut uh, dysbiosis and how important it was to refrain from um, anything that would cause an imbalance in the gut. Uh, so it, it's not really new thought processes you already know, but it hasn't been really picked up and, and established as far as a lot of people understanding the importance of this. I think people give it lip service, but if you look at the neurochemistry, um, you will notice that there's certain uh, neurotransmitters that are also found within the gut. So, for example, secretin is a neurotransmitter that we were in, infusing into children way back, <clears throat> probably almost 20 years ago, a little, a little over 20 years ago, actually. Uh, 1997 is when we started doing that. Um, we don't use that as much now because we've found other ways of helping children and their gut without having to um, infuse them with secretin. But secretin is also uh, found in the mesenteric plexus. So there are many neurotransmitters found in the gut itself. And understanding that if we can rebalance the neurochemistry, when I'm saying neurochemistry, we're actually affecting the gut as, as well. And then give the body the probiotics and the uh, various types of sources of nutrients that the uh, gut bacteria need to flourish and then um, deal with the the biofilms that are the protective coverings over some of these uh, dysbiotic flora that's already in the gut, like the yeast and, and various other types of gut parasites, etc., um, and reestablish that bond. But think of it as a forest and or that's been burned down. And so what we're doing is we're basically pulling out all the stumps, we're replanting all the seeds, we're helping these trees to sprout, we're providing the sunlight, the nutrients, and the soil, the water, everything, so that this forest can start to grow again. And that's what we're trying to do, because as soon as the forest starts to grow, then you have a chance of reestablishing the normal balance in that ecosystem. But if you have um, something that's come in and burned the whole forest down and then nobody's tried to do anything to replant mm -hmm. that forest, you're going to have no balance and you're never going to have any you're never going to have a balanced ecosystem there. Folks, that's the essence of the law of the terrain, going back to Antoine Béchamp and Claude Bernard, that which unfortunately is not taught in allopathic Western medical schools, even though historically these figures are known. And that's why Dr. Batar is doing the advanced medicine uh, like no one else. And we encourage more doctors to plug into it. And, of course, we have links up in the show notes, including go to advancedmedicine.com. And uh, maybe you can be part of this evolution, revolution, if you will, of holistically inclined healthcare that it can embrace advances in medicine, but really recognize where it is limited or detrimental and make those uh, conscious decisions to not make the same mistakes that we've been making for at least 100 years in the Western world. Robert, I think that's very well said, and hopefully we can um, all start to better understand that the key is balance. Balance is um, everything. Uh, two extremes on either side is not good, so if we can yeah. establish balance, 
and use that in our lives, it will behoove us. Well, Dr. Bittar, safe journey on your next uh, destination. We look forward to getting you back on board, obviously, for Advanced Medicine next week. But we got to go, so tell them what they need to know. That the power to heal is unequivocally yours. Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.